From the Third Coast International Audio Festival and Chicago Public Radio, I'm Gwen Maxi, and this is ReSound. You've heard the Pan Am commercials. Millions hear them every day. Now listen to interpretations of the music from these commercials that are making people get up and go. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Paul Evangel speaking to you from the terminal of life near the gate of death. Along with many others, we will shortly be boarding the Interworld Airlines flight FINAL for the New Jerusalem. This is the very first time that anyone in broadcasting has been given the authority to actually witness and describe the flight of a departed soul and relay the information so that you can hear, experience, and prepare yourself for this heavenly journey. The terminal is very crowded today, and we are told that this is not at all unusual, for eventually all people of all nations will pass through this point of separation. Let's listen to the dispatcher. ReSound is a remix of found sound, archival tape, strange tidbits, and the best audio documentaries out there. We toil and slave, find it, gather it, produce it, and play it for you. Your job? Turn on the radio. One of the beauties of radio, one of the bare essentials, key components, fundamental elements of the medium we all know and love, is that it transports you. We wander, we lust. We lust after wandering, we wander after lust. Today, we go wherever things take us, to Amtrak, to Annapurna, to pounding the pavement with a reactionary pedestrian. Fasten your seatbelts and ignore Betty Davis. It's not going to be a bumpy ride at all. We begin with producer Jenny Asarnow, who, in her quest to venture forth, found it hard to leave home without a plan. So she consulted with someone, the omniscient oracle, Julie, the Amtrak god. Hi, I'm Julie. Let's get started. What city are you departing from? Providence. And what's the arrival city? Just tell me where is a nice place. Got it. Let's get started. What city are you departing from? Providence. And what's the arrival city? I just want to go somewhere nice. I think you asked for Indiana, Pennsylvania. Is that correct? Yes. Got it. Amtrak doesn't service Indiana, Pennsylvania. The closest station is Johnstown, Pennsylvania, which is 20 miles away. Should I use that one instead? Hi. I'll be able to help you look up schedules and fares for any Amtrak train. And if you find something you like, we can take care of the reservation, too. Let's get started. What city are you departing from? I don't know. I think you asked for Toma, Wisconsin. Is that correct? Yes. And what's the arrival city? I don't know. I think you asked for Belen, New Mexico. Is that correct? Yes. Got it. What day would you like to depart? I don't know. I think you asked for November 10th. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. I'll be able to help you look up schedules and fares for any... I'd like to go from where I am now to somewhere else. Can you help me? 
sorry, I didn't understand. Please say the departure is city. I'd like to go from where I am now. Great. And what's the arrival city? Anywhere else. I think you asked for New Rochelle, New York. Is that correct? Yes. Got it. What day would you like to depart? Whenever. I think you asked for June 1st. Is that correct? Yes. Okay, let's review. You're looking for one seat on a train from Grants Pass, Oregon to New Rochelle, New York, departing on June 1st at 2.30 p.m. Is that correct? Yes. Okay, hold on. I'll look up trains. I'm having trouble finding trains between those cities. Let me transfer you to an agent who can help. Your call may be recorded to ensure quality. Hold on. Julie the Amtrak God, produced by Jenny Asarno. If you've ever listened to someone talk about a trip they were on, and who hasn't had to put up with the giant yawn that is travel talk, then you know how ridiculous it is to try and recreate great travel for an audience who wasn't there. Slides or no slides. But there are some people, however few, that are masters at the task, and they do it through sound. One of those maestros is Aaron Zim. When he and his wife Bronwyn were on their honeymoon, they spent three weeks tracking the Annapurna circuit in central Nepal. And of course, they recorded the entire experience. This is the kind of audio piece that, if you can put down what you're doing and just listen, it'll knock your socks off. I remember. Western travelers have been walking the Annapurna circuit for years. It's a breathtaking and difficult journey through central Nepal. The Annapurna region is a landscape of 20,000-foot peaks, precipitous valleys, and no roads at all. Little power and little money penetrate the hills. 
still, it is changing with every year that passes and every person who visits. My husband Aaron and I made the trek as part of our honeymoon. This is our record of Annapurna, as it was in 2001. Aaron is a sound artist. He makes field recordings when we travel. These are the sounds that he recorded while we trekked. My name is Bronwyn. I'm a journalist and a dancer. These are my memories. Trekking is its own very physical way of life. For three weeks, we walked up and down mountains, over rivers, and through dozens of small villages. Every day, there was nothing to do but walk, walk, and look, and listen. We slept in tea houses, the small family-run hotels that cater to travelers in the hills. People ask us if trekking was hard, if traveling in general was hard. The hardest thing is remembering what you experience. Recently, Aaron asked me, what do I remember about our trek? This is what I remember. Listen. A song. I remember about 15 minutes into our trek, two little boys asking us for one pen and then for money, then when that failed, trying on our sunglasses and laughing at each other. One chance, they kept saying. When they asked where we were going, Aaron answered in Nepali, Bule Bule Jane, which means going to Bule Bule. And before long, it turned into a little song, and the four of us were crossing the Mars Yangdi River on a metal suspension bridge, singing Bule Bule Jane, Bule Bule Jane, Bule Bule Jane, Bule Bule Jane. I remember staying the first night in a lodge owned by a Swiss man and a Nepali woman and their two adorable daughters. In the dining room, there was a clock on the wall with these funny chimes that sounded like something out of a video game. Wandering Minstrels. I remember pressing on, as Aaron likes to say, in Chamje, not stopping at the first hotel like I wanted to, but then getting rewarded by passing a house and hearing singing and Serengi playing inside. We, of course, stopped in our tracks and lingered by the door to listen. Someone saw us and gestured for us to come in. It was two men who were wandering minstrels, Gundarvas, they're called, playing folk music for a dark room full of adults and children. One of the guys wore very nice leather shoes. 
The river. I remember the Marsyangdi River, walking along it and sometimes over it on these narrow suspension bridges that swung and moved as you made your way across. I remember how huge and furious it was at points, and how immense some of the rocks were. The smaller ones were refrigerator-sized. The bigger ones could be whole buildings, or buses, or planes. Under one bridge, a water demon was supposed to live. coming out of a lodge alongside the trail. A woman standing by the door saw that we looked curious and invited us in. It was a dark room with a creamy, smoky smell of butter lamps. There was a table that must have had more than a hundred of them burning on it, off to one side. Along one of the walls, five people in robes were sitting, chanting from books. I think there were three monks and two nuns. From time to time, the nuns spun drums with one hand. The drums beat themselves with tethered balls. I remember having an excruciating saddle sore from the backpack on my left hip and butt. It hurt so bad at one point I cried.
prayer flags. I remember getting an altitude headache when we reached Windy Narwhal. We had a late lunch there, unnerved by the wind. The houses there had colorful prayer flags, which never seemed to just hang. They were always furiously flapping in the wind. People hang prayer flags, so the wind that blows through them will carry a blessing. We wished the blessings would cure my headache. Toddlers laugh. I remember stopping for a rest on a bench outside a tea shop where some young children and an adult were singing something out of a school book, and mountain goat kids were gambling around, jumping and baying. I made the toddlers laugh by imitating the goat with my hand. Donkey trains. I remember the recurring sound of bells from the donkey trains carrying various loads along the trail. Sometimes, depending on the terrain, we would catch just an echo of donkey bells way off in the distance. And then we might not hear it at all for a while, but after rounding a corner, there it would be louder, and eventually we would see the donkeys and their herders. Often we would have to stop and get off the trail to let them pass. Some of the donkeys were decked out with strips of bright colored fabric hanging down from their harnesses, or a square of festive carpet-like material hanging across their foreheads. Monastery. I remember Bagarchop, this village that had been half destroyed by a landslide in the mid 90s. I remember visiting a small but very vibrant feeling monastery there. We were welcomed in to listen to the monks doing their morning chanting. Someone even brought us tea. Some of the monks were very young. I noticed that most of them were wearing tennis shoes.
a stream outside the monastery, and someone had built a water-powered grain grinder over it. It looked like a small wooden shed straddling the stream. You could see how a water paddle was causing this big bowl with grain in it to spin around and around and around. A wooden arm with a large stone attached to it would jiggle in the bowl and crush the grain. Tibetan crow. I remember being startled by the bizarre sounds made by a huge Tibetan crow hopping across a high field. Aaron stalked it for a few minutes trying to record it. Every time he got close, it would hop away and croak at him in scorn. I remember climbing up a big hill in Manang to get blessed by the Lama who lives in a cave with his wife. The way it works is you give him five bucks and he gives you a blessing for a safe crossing over the Thuranglā Pass, which he did. Being blessed also helped counteract the grumpiness we were feeling toward each other that day. Namaste. Namaste. Me nam lamateshi, good luck. Good luck. Purungla? Yes. Purungla, Eastern, Purumbas, Purumbas, Muktina, Tong Sampo, Katmundu, America. Good luck. Purungla. No problem. No problem. I hope. Namaste. 
money walls, and prayer wheels. I remember all the money walls, walls made of stones carved with mantras. There would usually be one at the beginning and end of each village. We'd come across them in the middle of nowhere, too. At arm's height, many of the walls had squeaky cylindrical prayer wheels, which were painted or embossed with mantras. They had smooth, well-worn wooden handles, so you could spin them as you walked by to disperse their prayers into the world. Some of them were made from coffee cans. I remember feeling compelled to spin every single one as we passed. The wind in the trees. I remember after one sweaty climb, finding ourselves in this pine forest that reminded me a lot of summer camp. On one side of the valley, bare rock walls climbed a thousand feet to the snow line. Occasionally, when the wind fell still, we heard the jingle bells of distant horses. Posters. I remember these posters that we would see in lots of the tea houses. One of them was a woman in a fuchsia sari with what looked like a dark scarf around her neck, but if you looked at it more closely, you saw that it was a small black goat. Most of them showed houses, mansions, really with some idyllic natural setting, mountains, a stream, and usually flowers in the foreground. Some of them had sayings on them. One of them said, Home is where, when you go there, they have to. I remember waking up in the village of Yak Karka to snow, but no yaks. The next night, though, we were practically surrounded by them. We spent an entire afternoon studying them from a safe distance. They're notoriously ornery. Aaron and I have a soft spot for animals with that much fur. When it was close to freezing, Aaron went outside to record them sleeping in the moonlight.
cook's boombox. I remember killing time in Thurong Petty High Camp, the last town before the Thurong Law Pass, and the highest and most difficult day of the whole trek. We were the only ones to stay there two nights because of sudden snow and bad visibility. Everyone else just went over the pass anyway. We spent an entire day in the only warm place, the one-room lodge where guides and porters played carom. And the cook's boombox played warped Hindi pop tapes. I remember feeling kind of proud for doing the right thing and not just setting out because everyone else was going. There were stories about trekkers who had gotten lost and perished. And I also remember Aaron anguishing over it. Why is nobody else staying? Why aren't they worried? He would say. fountain of sorts. I remember how the back wall of the Shiva temple in Muktinath was a fountain of sorts, with all in a row 108 likenesses of the head of the divine bull Nandi built into it, and water pouring out of their mouths. Each fountainhead was slightly different from the others. Some were friendly, some were stern. All of them were ice cold. If you bathed under them, all of them, it was supposed to wash away your bad karma. Animist figures. I remember the animist male stone figure with the exaggerated phallus in Kagbeni. There was a female figure too. She had pubic hair. She was much smaller. She didn't have her own nook like Penis Man did. A crowded ceremony took place in the male figure's nook to celebrate the Buddha's birthday. Monks from the nearby monastery chanted, drummed, and played horns made from shells and bones. At the end of the ceremony, 
They threw ash in the air, which rained down on the figure. in the wind. I remember feeling completely unhinged by the heavy winds that were oppressing us along the trek through the riverbed to Jomsum. I knew I was losing it when I started playing chicken with a pack horse coming toward us on the trail. There was a slightly less well-established trail just off to the side, and I remember thinking, you know, this time the four-footer is moving for me. But I lost. I moved. huge prayer wheel. I remember climbing lots and lots of steps, spinning lots and lots of prayer wheels as I climbed to see a monastery in Marpa. At the top, there was an entry hall with a huge prayer wheel, probably five feet tall, that would ring a bell as it went around. And it kept going around because there was an old woman sitting there who was giving it an occasional spin. She was constantly murmuring mantras, and she would say namaste from time to time, as if to greet someone, but not to anyone in particular. I remember seeing lots and lots of ladybugs, some of them squished on the trail. I remember butterflies in iridescent blue. In the lower valleys, we always heard crickets and cicadas. They hummed and buzzed and made complex phasing rhythm patterns. 
chickens in cages. I remember passing a little rest stop with a people tree and a water spigot where a bunch of porters were taking a breather. Their cargo consisted of chickens in stacked cages, and the chickens were making the most unearthly, unchicken-like mewling sounds. houses. I remember the oddness of the trucker tea house relationship. The whole time we were trekking, we stayed in little tea house hotels, usually run by a single family. I always felt like I was invading the family's routine whenever I wanted something, which is odd since running a hotel is their routine. But still, I couldn't help but feel like a big old walking interruption. father and son dragging bamboo down the hill above Tatapani. They were dragging logs at least 10 feet long, maybe 15 feet. You could hear them coming a mile away. getting up at 4.15, all for naught, to make the 40-minute hike up Poon Hill, which is supposed to offer amazing views of Annapurna 1 and Machu Picchara. But by the time the sun rose, all we could see was an invasion of clouds, and the peaks kind of poking up above from time to time.
Annapurna. Annapurna is a goddess, an incarnation of the goddess Lakshmi. Her name means full of grain. She's a symbol of wealth and prosperity. We found wealth in the Annapurna hills, in the obligation to inhabit the moment, to appreciate where we were, simply walking, simply listening. But Annapurna's name is also ironic. Nepal is not wealthy. It's one of the poorest countries in the world. Since we were there, Nepal's problems have only multiplied. It's not clear how easy it will be to go back in the future. But even if we don't go back, at least we have these moments, these memories, and these sounds. It makes me happy to think that in this moment, right now, monks are chanting, yaks are sleeping, donkey bells are ringing, or prayer wheels are spinning. Annapurna, Memories and Sound, was produced by Aaron and Bronwyn Zim. Field recordings by Aaron Zim. Narration recorded at Delicate Ear in San Francisco with assistance from John Eikensier. Okay, I think that's it for now. Annapurna, Memories and Sound, produced by Aaron and Bronwyn Zim. Annapurna won the Third Coast Festival Director's Choice Award in 2002. Aaron Zim is a sound artist based in San Francisco, and since 1998 he's been devoting most of his energy to his Quiet American project, which can be found at quietamerican.org. It includes compositions constructed exclusively from field recordings he and others make while traveling. Every week on the website, the Zims offer a one-minute vacation, and what you're about to hear is an impromptu call and response recorded in central Mexico during a St. Jude festival. Here the local women are standing on one side of the courtyard while the men gathered their instruments on the other, and for over an hour they alternated between the women singing prayers and the men playing music. That was a one-minute vacation by Siamak Siashansi from The Quiet American. You know what else takes about a minute? Sending us an email. Do it. You'll feel better. We'll feel better. Communication is the answer. We're at Resound at thirdcoastfestival.org. And while you're online, visit our website, 
www.thirdcoastfestival.org. And check out more about Aaron Zim, links to all of the One Minute Vacations, or any one of hundreds of great audio docs. That address is thirdcoastfestival.org. I'm Gwen Maxi. You're listening to ReSound. It is my sincere desire, along with members of the cast and choir, that by listening you have been inspired to prepare yourself for the journey that you'll someday make into eternity. When it comes to wanderlust, one usually thinks of exotic places far, far away. Places you have to get to by boat or plane or camel or rickshaw. One doesn't usually think of walking there. After all, where exactly can you get just by walking? Certainly not to the Taj Mahal, Red Square, or the Arc de Triomphe. Well, when one is absurd, as an Abnersurd, a radio producer with a very unusual style and even more unusual delivery, just about anything is possible. Here is Abnersurd, the fanatic reactionary pedestrian. The way it begins, my friend Erin said she'd always wanted to hike the Appalachian Trail. She asked me if I'd do it with her, and I said I would, knowing it was probably just talk, doubting she'd ever really want to do it, and figuring it never hurts to dream. Then came the accident. A 60-mile-an-hour head-on collision. Three people died. Aaron spent four months in a hospital down in Phoenix. I wrote to her while she was convalescing. I told her I'd meet her on Springer Mountain in Georgia, maybe give her some motivation to get up on her shattered legs and walk again. Lest you get the wrong impression of me, I'd like to point out that I didn't stick around to help her get well. I wasn't there to lend her moral support during all those endless months of rehabilitation. I don't know how to be that kind of person. And this ain't that kind of story. This is a story about a fanatic reactionary pedestrian who despises motorized vehicles, who thinks any distance is walking distance as long as they let him across the bridge, who promises to walk 2,000 miles from Georgia to Maine and then walks 3,000 miles just getting to Georgia. Good morning. Thursday morning, October 22nd. Well, it drizzled off and on for about half the night. The bivy sack I picked up about six weeks ago and haven't had much of a chance to use seems to have kept fairly dry. The sky that was all different shades of gray yesterday is all blue today with a patch of white here and there. The sun is up and the steam is coming off the wet ground and going to get moving eventually. I think I'll have breakfast first. So the question is, what is a fanatic reactionary pedestrian? How does one get to be this way? What drives a person, excuse the pun, to pick up and walk 3,000 miles on roads that clearly weren't meant for walking? It's a very strange sunset tonight. It's a very colorful sunset. It's brilliant reds and golds. A Hieronymus Bosch kind of theme. It looks like screaming demons from hell all racing to where the sun went down, flying through the sky with 
bellows of smoke and fire coming out of their mouths. Wow. You understand, I didn't start out to be a fanatic. I sort of grew into it over several tens of thousands of miles. I'm not as bad as I used to be, though. I mean, I don't throw rocks anymore. Tuesday afternoon, Texas City. Passing by looks like a Union Carbide plant. Another mad scientist's dream with giant gray stacks belching smoke and fire. I remember that time in Indiana, the guy in the Dodge Ram looking left and turning right, hurrying to beat the oncoming traffic, never came to a complete stop, pushed me a dozen feet backwards before he shut it down. If I hadn't managed to stay on my feet, he never would have seen me go under. Monday morning, the 15th of February. Walking on little tiny seashells on the beach in Louisiana. It's kind of sad that people don't walk on the beach anymore. Last night, Valentine's evening, went down to the beach at just about sunset. Watching all the Valentine's couples driving back and forth along the beach driving in their four-wheel drive vehicles. Kinda made me feel like I'd lost somehow. I still have in my mind pictures of road kills that would break your heart. You want to hear about them? No, that's okay. I can describe them in great detail. Are you sure you don't want to hear it? No, we don't need that. Thank you very much. The dog thrown up against the barbed wire fence? No. Are you sure? Yes. Okay. Just had a encounter with a young woman back in Franklin. 20, 25 years old and a couple of guys, but she did all the talking. She wanted to know where I took baths at. She said, you got a gun, right? I said, no, I haven't got a gun. She said, oh, you gotta get yourself a gun. I said, they told me I can't have a gun until I start taking my medication again. I hear a lot these days about racial profiling. Racial profiling. I don't know how many times I've been stopped and questioned by Officer Friendly, not because I was doing anything wrong, but only because I happened to be passing through town on foot. I want to tell these guys, look, all the really successful criminals drive cars. I should think that's obvious. In fact, the better the car, the more successful the criminal. You should be stopping people in BMWs. The Huey P. Long Bridge over the Mississippi River. Well, we got about a third of the way across the bridge and a state police officer hit his lights and stopped and got out of the car and started yelling. 
he didn't have very good people skills. So I started yelling back at him, I don't have very good people skills either. Nor very much common sense. But I found out there is no bridge anywhere in the state of Louisiana that you can walk across the Mississippi River. It is prohibited. It is becoming illegal to get across this country on foot. I can't believe anybody building a bridge across a river for four lanes of automobiles and not even considering pedestrians and bicycles. Anyway, waiting on a bus to get across the river. I don't have the energy to get across any other way right now. You've got to be out there, breathing exhaust fumes every day. You've got to walk down the road at night and step on a lump and not know whether it's a piece of blown out tire or another dead owl. That's how you get to be a fanatic reactionary pedestrian. You can read all you want about the paving of America, about urban sprawl and smog and vanishing habitat and on and on, but that's just theory. It's awful out there by the side of the road. It gets worse every day. And here's the crux. Instead of saying to yourself, hey, it's pretty bad out here. It's ugly and noisy and smelly and dangerous and I don't really want to be here. Next time, I'm going to drive. Instead of saying that, you've got to say to yourself, hey, it's pretty bad out here, but driving ain't gonna make it any better. That's how you get to be a reactionary pedestrian. The fanatic part, well, let's just take it one step at a time. Fanatic Reactionary Pedestrian Produced by Abner Surd for Living on Earth in 2005. You're listening to ReSound. I'd like to go from where I am now to somewhere else. Can you help me? Sorry, I didn't understand. Please say the departure is I'd like to go from where I am now. Great. And what's the arrival city? Anywhere else. I think you asked for New Rochelle, New York. Is that correct? Yes. Sound is a production of Chicago Public Radio and the Third Coast International Audio Festival. I'm Gwen Maxi. The program is produced by Roman Mars and curated by Johanna Zorn and Julie Shapiro of the Third Coast Festival. Our production assistant is Delaney Hall. 
You can hear today's program at thirdcoastfestival.org, where you can also hear dozens of outstanding documentaries from around the world. Lead support for the Third Coast Festival is provided by the Richard H. Driehaus Foundation, with additional funding from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, the National Endowment for the Arts, American Airlines, and Chicago's Navy Pier. Music for ReSound is provided by Reckless Records in Chicago. If you want to contact us, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at resound at thirdcoastfestival.org. ReSound returns next week with more radio that you can't hear anywhere else, unless you live everywhere else.